They're primarily Jewish people, which is important as we study. They're coming at things from a Jewish point of view, and we're try Peter's trying to teach them. Because Jews would have had an opinion, and even still to this day have the opinion, that they are God's chosen people. They're born into it. We're part of this nation, therefore we're chosen, and uh, we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was our father, Abraham, and we follow the laws of Moses, and that would have been normal Jewish thinking. And he's going to try to straighten that out, get them thinking like Christians. So he says, yes, you're chosen, but not because you're Jewish. You're chosen because God reached down and said, I choose you. I want you to be uh, in my family. And so it's not being Jewish, but it's being in God's family. God has a family and he, you're born into that family when you trust in Jesus. You're born in, become part of that family. As part of that family, you have two particular things. Uh, you are kept. Your Father, Heavenly Father, keeps you. He watches over you. And he's also keeping an inheritance for you. He says, I've got an inheritance in heaven reserved for you with your name on it. It's waiting for you and I'm going to make sure to Two of you get together. You, I'll take care of you until the day comes when you come to heaven and get your inheritance. He says, I know you've had a hard time with life, but uh, it's a wonderful thing that you now have salvation. Salvation. And you and I just nod our head, yeah, okay, salvation. Because we don't... We don't get it sometimes. But you know, if you were in the early church and you said, well, you got salvation, you say, what in the world are you talking about? They don't know what that is. And so when Peter writes to these people, says, you got salvation. They got what? We got what? What do we got? Of course, they're Jewish. They grew up believing you just do all the right things, and then when it's over, God takes you to heaven. And that's not the case, and we know that that's not. And so he's explaining to us, and then, of course, to these people, but to us also, that salvation is the salvation of the soul. You say, well, it's easy. We ask Jesus to forgive us, and we go to heaven. Well, it's a little more than that. Okay, so, as a matter of fact, it's a whole lot more than that. Uh, but it's the inheritance that's coming to us. It's the power to live here on earth. The salvation is a, is a whole lot to it. In verse 9, he says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. All right, and so he's teaching these people who grew up thinking, just follow the rules and we got it made. Now it's going to be faith in God, and he's going to give you a gift, salvation. And now we go, pick up now where we left off, verse 10. Chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 10. Of which salvation prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand of the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. And so, if we're going to think about what he's just said here, we start at the cross 
And this is the center of all human history. The cross of Christ, Jesus crucified on the cross, three days later rising from the gift, rising from the grave. That's the center of human history. That is the focal point of all history. There is no other main thing. It's not nations. It's not kingdoms. It's not anything like that. Uh, the focal point of human history, Jesus dying on a cross, rising from the dead three days later, and the entire history of the world before and after that all looks to that. And he says... Uh, there were prophets. Now, <clears throat> these Jewish people, that was their Bible. It was the Old Testament is what they had. And they knew all about the prophets. They read the prophets. They sang the prophets. Uh, they lived the rules of the prophets. They talked about the prophets. That was their book, the Old Testament, their Bible. And he says, now, these people, prophets, Back that you hold dear, they were looking ahead. So if you saw Moses and he's studiously writing out Genesis and Exodus, and you had to be studious to write like him. He was a scribe by trade. He learned to be a scribe in Egypt, one of the great educations of the world. And he wrote detail. Man, did he write detail. He read Deuteronomy and see how exciting it is. Leviticus, as he goes from one rule to the next, one law to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Very, very meticulous writer. So you go to him and say, well, what are you writing, Moses? He doesn't say, I'm writing all the rules. He won't say that. Well, you, what are you writing? Are you writing the history of the Jews? No. No, I'm writing about someone who is coming. There's someone coming. That's what I'm writing about. And that's what he says here. Searching water, what manner of the Spirit of Christ was in them did signify. All right. He said, these old writers, Moses, David, Isaiah, Samuel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, these old writers were just filled with an inquiring and they were searching and trying to figure out who's coming what's coming what's going to happen and they had a real hunger to know that and so what God did was gave them little bits of information I'll tell you a little bit about it Moses somebody's coming and what does he write? Chapter 3 in Genesis. That there's coming a hero born of woman who will crush the serpent with his heel. So it begins. Now we know there's a powerful person coming who's going to crush the power of Satan. Right? That's when it starts. And they keep giving little bits of information. It's just amazing. Uh, Isaiah, particularly, seems to have had God whispering in his ear, you want to know? I want to know what's happening. Here's what's happening. Uh, he says, Isaiah writes, uh, prepare me a body. I'll go down. And this is, of course, speaking of Jesus Christ. Before he was born in Bethlehem, 
Uh, he says, I'll go down and, and die for the world. I need a body. Prepare me a body. And, of course, that happened inside of Mary's womb. Then Isaiah says, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Now we know there's a boy coming. He's going to be born like a baby. What happens to him? The government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful. I love that verse. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end upon the throne of David to order and establish it. What a marvelous little bit of information. He must be really going to be something. And he writes again, the people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. What is it? It's that one that's coming. He's coming. What's going to happen to him when he gets here? Well, all we like sheep have gone astray. Says Isaiah, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of our, us all. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. I don't know what's going to happen to him, but it sure sounds bad, Isaiah says. He sounds like he had a hard life. And David also will write wondering about this person that's coming. And what does he write? Uh, uh, Behold, many dogs around me, Psalm 22. A pack of the evildoers presses in upon me. They have pierced my hands and my feet, and I can count all my bones. And so... They keep writing and writing about this one that's coming. So the entire focus of the early prophets looking ahead was looking at that cross. So he says, Paul, Peter says, we're over here preaching the gospel. And uh, we say uh, someone came. And we look back to that point. So we're looking back. So we'll tell you he came. And he says that these old writers were telling us, verse 12, unto whom it was revealed that not to themselves, but unto us they did minister to things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And so he says we're talking about the same incident. They talked about him coming and we say he has come, and there's the focal point. And to this day, right now, today, we're still saying, look back, look back. There's the center of all history. Jesus Christ died on the cross, and that's how we think that the cross is the center. And then he, he throws in something pretty good. He says, which things angels desire to look into. And so these people... Look back, that's us. We look back. These people look forward. And up here are angels. And they look down. The angels from another realm look down at the cross. Look down at Jesus. And it's a central event for them. Why is it a central event for angels? They didn't get redeemed. They aren't saved by the blood of Christ. No, but they learned more about God in that than they did in anything else. 
They were eyewitnesses in creation. When God created the world, it says the angels were watching, and it says they shouted for joy. Because that was quite a thing. God said, let there be light, and all of a sudden, <laughs> let the waters separate uh, from the dry land, and huge cracks and mountains come bursting up out of the water. It's amazing what they saw. And they shouted for joy when they saw it. But he says, this is much more central to who God is. Yes, God is a creator, a great creator, but this tells us more about God. So the angels are fascinated. What happens? They come down the night Jesus is born. What do they say? Run to us. What do they say? Uh, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. They're singing thousands of them in the sky. They <coughs> spread the message right away as soon as he arrives. He's here. He's here. You can't believe what happened. He left heaven and came down here. And they were talking about it. And then, of course, the resurrection is very amazing. They're hanging around the tomb. They're walking in. They're sitting there. Peter went in and he said, I saw two men sitting in a tomb. Two young men. They're angels. They're probably 10,000 years old. <laughs> they look like young men because up there you don't age. You only age here, right? So you're going to get rid of that gray. It's coming. We're going to get rid of it up there. We're going to be young again and stay young forever up there. Because there's no time. But the angels are young people. And they came. They looked. At, they were inside the tomb. Looking. Fascinated by it. And humans come. And the angels say. What are you doing here? We're looking for Jesus. He's alive. You don't look for a live person in a graveyard. What's the matter with you? Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. The angels say he's risen. So angels also focused on this one central thing, one central thought, the cross and the resurrection. And from that comes our salvation. That's what it is. And that revealed more about God than creation. Creation revealed power, tremendous power. And creation revealed uh, a tremendous creativity that the mind of God is so vast. He can think of things. What if you had to create birds? i just give you one thing. Create birds. Would you think to make a cardinal and an ostrich? I don't think so. You know? You just wouldn't think of it. But he thought of everything you can think of. A, a, a big old owl. He thought of an owl, and then he turned around and made a little bluebird. This is so creative. That's just birds. Look at flowers. Oh, it goes on endlessly. The creative touch of God, and that's true. We know something about God. He's creative, and he's powerful. But now you know the heart of God, what God is thinking when he poured out his life on the cross, poured out his blood, I've made these creatures and I'm going to save them. I'm going to rescue them. That's what salvation is being saved, being rescued, rescued from the consequences of sin, is what he said.
And so here's the central figure, the cross of Christ. And the, they, they, these old writers said, somebody's coming. Peter, Paul, and me and you were saying somebody's came. Somebody was here. And the angels join in because they think this is really amazing. <laughs> and <clears throat> when Jesus said, if I wanted to, before he was crucified, he said, if I wanted to, I could call uh, 10,000 angels and they would come and rescue me. I want to tell you what, man. They were ready. When that happened, they were ready, armed and waiting, said, let us at that human population, we'll fix them. We will wipe them out, single-handedly if necessary. You say the word, Jesus, we will rescue you. And he said, if I want to do all I have to do is say, come, and it'd be the end of the human population. Angels would come and destroy it entirely and leave this world in flames and ashes. They were ready. Believe me. But he didn't say, come. He died instead. And so they were fascinated, heartbroken. And then, of course, when he rose from the dead, <laughs> let's get, <laughs> this is great. And they really loved it. So, he, he said, we're, these guys are saying they're Jewish. What do you mean by salvation? Well, that's what I mean. The whole history of the world focuses on that. From before and after and even from heaven itself, everything is focused on that one thing when Jesus died on that cross and then rose from the dead. So this is the major event in history. This is it. There's nobody else can teach you. They, they can change history all they want. They can't change that. It's done. It's finished. It's accomplished. Salvation is won by Jesus Christ. And nothing else in the rest of the history of the world is really going to amount to much of anything. That is it. Okay? So, verse 13. Therefore... Wherefore, because of that, because this is the central issue in all of the history of the world, everything focuses on it. Therefore, something is required of you, a response is required of you, because this great event happened. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. All right. You and I don't gird up our loins anymore. Well, we do, but not quite the same. It's a very colorful phrase. And in those days, they wore long robes, basically, went almost down to their feet. And they were long and flowing. And if you were a fancy person, you put pleats in your robe. And that's what the Pharisees did, because they wanted a robe so long that it swished when they walked by. And they swished with their long robes. And why? Because they want to say, we're real holy, so hear us swishing by. And they had their long robes. But Peter, the fisherman, see, he knows, what are you going to do with that robe when you've got to get a fish off out of the net? That thing's in the way. 
And so they gird up their loins. You and I would say they put on a belt. Or you take that big old flowing robe and get it out of the way. We got work to do. And so you pull the thing up and get yourself a belt tied around your waist. There, now I can do some work. We're not fishing around in our robes. We got work to do. So we gird up your loins and it's time to go to work. Now he says here, gird up the loins of your mind. Get your mind ready to go to work. Fix your mind. You're going to start with that. Fix your mind. You've got to fix your mind. Let's start with your mind. You need to fix your mind. Get it ready to go. Get it ready to do some work. Your mind has work to do. This is a magnificent thing, a great expansive thing, covers the history of the whole world. And the salvation is more and more, and more revealed to us. It's not just uh, we got forgiven and gone to heaven. It goes on and on and on and on and on. It's a magnificent uh, transformation for humans. So he says, I tell you what, get with it, will you? Come on. Use your mind. You say, oh, I'm tired. I don't use my mind. Well, get it going. Never mind that. This is a big deal. Expects you to get your mind in gear and use it. So none of this, uh, well, I'm going to let somebody else think about it. No, you're going to think about it, says Peter. So get your mind going. Uh, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Let's get serious about what we're thinking about. We want to get serious and be sober about it. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's so much going to happen. And it's going to focus on Jesus. And I'll tell you what, my friends. You look at the world today. What's happening? There's a desperate need for somebody to fix it. And there's only one person that's ever going to fix it. Only one. Nobody else is going to fix it. Donald Trump is not going to fix it. Nobody's going to fix this. It's going to come from above. And so as these things happen, we see more and more. But he says, you hope, you hope. You're hoping. Why are you hoping for? I'm hoping that Jesus Christ comes and we see all that he's got planned when he arrives. Okay, so get your mind going. Let's get your minds in gear. And let's think this is serious business. All right. Verse 14, as obedient children. Now, fix your mind. Obey. And isn't that what he said right back in the very first part of the chapter uh, in, in uh, uh, verse 2, right? Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. He's trying to tell us when God chose you, there's a reason he chose you and a purpose he has for you. God didn't say, I choose you and you and you, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. Just sit there and I chose you. No, 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 no. God said, when I chose you, I got something for you to do. Obey. 
want you to obey. And now he says, be like obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. So, you're going to, part of being saved, your salvation, you're going to fix that mind of yours, get thinking right, and obey. All right? What are you going to obey? All right, what are you going to do? You're going to not do what you used to do. There's things that you used to do. Your former lusts, your way of life you used to follow before you knew Jesus Christ. He says, that has got to go. And I want you to get it in your mind. That's why you're setting your mind in action. Because that has got to go. You cannot keep the old life and say, I got salvation. Doesn't work like that. And he says, so here it is. But as he which has called you is holy, so you be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. There you go. You want to know what to do. You're going to obey. You're going to be what? Holy. So he says, you be holy. Everybody's got that all figured out? He's not giving you the option whether you want to do this or not. Not an option. It's not saying, well, you know, some people... They kind of live with their head in the clouds and a little bit, and they're holy people, but I got to live with my feet on the ground. I can't be holy. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. You can have your feet on the ground good and solid, and you can be holy. Say, I can't. It's not in me. No, it's not. You're right. But he said, fix your mind. Fix your mind. Started with that, which is a good place to start. Fix your mind. Jesus said this. As a man thinketh in his heart or inside himself, that's what he is. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So whatever you are under the surface, whatever you are when there's nobody around but you, Whatever you are, it's just you. Whatever you are in there is what you are in reality. And then Jesus said this. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or in other words... Whatever's in there, hidden, whatever's in there the most is what comes out of the mouth. So what, it, what you have a lot of is going to come out of your mouth. So where do you start? He says, be holy. Start with your mouth. Gird up the loins of your mind. And begin to think about what's inside of you. He says, be serious about it. And he says, and then you're going to be holy. You cannot have stuff coming out of your mouth. 
Because you say, well, if some bad stuff comes in, what did Jesus say? Because there's a lot of bad stuff inside. What comes out comes from inside. So if I hear bad language and filthy talk, what's inside? A lot more than you heard coming out. A lot more than you heard come out. Just be holy. You've got to start on the inside, and the mouth is the best measure of what's on the inside. You say, well, it's just my habit. No, no, it's not. That's your sin. And he said, stop it. Fix your mind now. Let's get your mind straight. And I want you to be holy. You say, well, can I just be forgiven and go along? <laughs> look, look. You want God to come into your life and live there. Think he wants to live in a dump heap? Think he wants to live in, inside of you when there's filthy garbage in there? You don't want to live in that. And so, you say, well, how can I get rid of that? Well, You've got to want to. <laughs> That's got a lot to do with it. I have people that I'm acquainted with very closely, spend time with, and they always tell me Monday morning, we went to church. We went to church. And I think to myself, it's a good thing they told me they went because I could never tell by what comes out of their mouth. I'd never know. I would never know by the way they speak. And uh, he says here that you're expected to be holy like an obedient child. And God says, I asked you to obey. That's why I called you. I chose you for a purpose, to obey me. I asked you to obey. And I want you to live like a holy person. So you got to clean up your act. You got to clean up your act. And you got to stop sinning. And so, how can I do it? Well, you got to build the one, all right? That old nasty fellow's in there. Starve him to death. Don't give him anything he wants. Starve him to death. You have also in you a part of you that Christ put inside of you a new life. Feed him. Give him anything he wants. Feed him. Make him strong. He needs to be fed. That's why you come here on Tuesday night. To feed him. Feed him. Make him strong. If he's strong enough, then he can get rid of the other guy. The guy in there that's doing all this stuff. So you say, what's the root to be holy? Well, we're going to use what we have to build up what we need to be. And so we watch our mouth because God says we've got to watch that mouth. He says we need to do it. What does he say? Uh, in verse 17, if I call on the Father who without respect of persons judges every man according to worth. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. All right, you better pay attention to what God says. So we need to think a new way and do these things 
uh, starve the old life and the old desires. He says, don't do what you used to do. And I think sometimes uh, old friends are the worst thing you can have. Because I think people are ashamed of Jesus Christ when you get right down to it. They're ashamed of Jesus. And our, our lifestyle has got to be such that helps people to not be afraid to stand up. People are afraid. Uh, why do I use that bad language and tell that dirty story? Because my friends expect it. That's not your friend. That is not your friend. You can't live that way. You've got to stand up for Jesus. And it makes a huge difference. All right, I've been living for the Lord a long time. And people come to me every day, ask me for things, ask me how to do things. Constantly are coming to me all day long. And every one of them doesn't swear only by accident. Sometimes they do a little. All right. But they don't. And I can tell when they almost did. <laughs> and then they say, oh, it's Eric. I can't do that. And I can tell when they're telling a dirty story in the other side of the room because they whisper. They don't want Eric to hear. That's good. That's what we want. All right? That's what we want. So we've got to live. He says, be holy. You clean up your act. And get your mind into it and determine that you're going to do it. And then you can do it. New speech will lead to new actions. New actions leads to the kind of obedience that he's asking for. He said, I chose you to obey me. And so let's clean it up. He says, let's clean up. You got the old things in your life, let them go. They got to go. Don't give in to those. You're going to live a life that's holy. Now let's go to 17 again. If you call on the Father who without respect of person judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. All right? So remember, God doesn't respect persons. So when you pray, don't say, hey, God, it's me. I know you think I'm special. So, no. God doesn't respect people. Peter found that out when one day God said, I want you to go see this guy named Cornelius. Yeah, he's a Roman. He's not Jewish. I said, go see Cornelius. And he scratched his head and he goes, must be God doesn't respect people. God doesn't think anybody's particularly special. Of course, in God's eyes, nobody is particularly special. We're all loved by him, loved dearly by him, but he doesn't go, eh, that guy's kind of a bum, but I like him. That's not God. And so he says, because God treats people the same, he said, you better pay attention and have a lot of respect for God. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And we don't shake and tremble at God, although sometimes we better. You cross over that line and do the thing you're not supposed to do, you better shake in fear. 
You better shake in fear. The Bible's full of examples of people who crossed over the line and never got back again. Samson, right? Achan, lots of them. Bible's full of them. Ananias, Sapphira, there's a bunch of them who crossed over the line and didn't get back, says you need to be, have a lot of respect for God. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed, verse 18, with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. All right, so he says it wasn't like you were taught, maybe. If you give enough money... You can get through your, you get through that way. He said, that's not, the, the traditions that you got from your fathers, which were follow all Moses' rules and you'll have it made, that's no good, he said. Those don't work. You weren't bought with that. You were bought, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot or blemish. You were bought by blood. Well, if he asks you to be holy and you say, oh, you're asking a lot of me. Well, didn't he give a lot for you? He gave his blood. Right? How are you ever going to pay that back? I, I, there's no way. I can't pay it back. I can work until I'm dead. Drag me over in the graveyard and put a sign on me. He still owes. He still owes. Because he couldn't pay it all back. He still owes. All right. So he says, you're bought with a price. You were bought with blood. If it was silver and gold, it would be different, but it wasn't. You're bought with blood. And so he's asking us to live the way we ought to live. Verse 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God planned it. That's why in the Bible, as I already mentioned, it says, prepare me a body. I'll go down and die. What was that about? That was the arrangement that God made. And we say, how are we going to, are we going to make the human race? Yes, we'll create them. Do you know that they're going to rebel? Yes, I know they'll rebel. How are we going to fix the rebellion? Make me a body, I'll go down and die. And so it says that Jesus Christ was slain in the mind of God before the foundations of the world. So before Genesis 1, when God said, let there be light, there was an agreement in the Trinity that the Son would go down, take a human form, and die, and redeem the race that they're going to make. It was already decided way back before the world was created. And it finally, 6,000 years later, came to be. Jesus Christ came and died. Verse 21. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead. That gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Right, so Jesus came up from the grave so that you can trust God. 
believe in him. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit. Now that you've cleaned up your life, you've set your mind, tidied it up, tightened it up, made your mind work. You're serious about it. You're going to turn over a leaf and be holy and get rid of the bad influences out of your life. Seeing you've done that, he says, seeing you've purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. So here's one of those little gifts you get a long way. You get your mind all set. You're going to serve God. You're going to live for God. Straighten your life out. And what happens? You find yourself in a group of people that loves you and you love them. You know what I'm talking about? These Shelby's. The Church of Jesus Christ. Church of Jesus Christ is a great love affair. People come and they love each other. That's the way it's supposed to be, he said. So you straighten your life out. What happens? You find yourself among God's people where people love you. And you love them. It's a great reward for cleaning up your life. So when he says, be holy, because I want you to be holy. I'm holy. I expect if I'm going to live in your heart for you to clean it up. Be holy. What do I get from it? You get to be in the middle of a love fest. You are surrounded by people who love you. Verse 23, being born again. New life. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. By the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. There's your answer. Uh, Maybe I should say your help. You say, I don't know how to be holy. Well, let's go and give you a big help. The word of God. That's what you need to help do this. He said, you're born again. You're made new. And he says, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man is a flower of grass. Grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. That's right from Isaiah again. And the word of the Lord endureth forever. This is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. So here's what he says. You're kind of unstable. You're not going to last long. You're like grass. Grass grows up. We mow it down. Where'd it go? Didn't mount to nothing. It's gone. That's you and I. Human flesh is like that. But you have something in your hand, the Word of God, and that abides forever. It is stable. It is stable. And we need stability in our life. That's where we're going to get it. So God says, here's the help that I have for you so you can live the way you should. It's the word of God. You're going to immerse yourself in it. Study it. Learn it. Grasp it. Read it. 
Read it over. Read it over and over again. Find places where you get it explained. Get a book that explains it. Do whatever you can to read the Word of God and get it in your heart. That will be a, a tremendous power to help you as you try to transform your life from what it was. God's going to help you. He's going to give you that through the Bible. So anybody that leaves the Bible out of their life has got a big hole and and you can't, there's nothing else to fill it. You need that Bible to help do that. That's what he's telling us. It's a very stable thing. It will help you. All right, now, you're not done with it yet. You thought we got past that holy spot. Now we're okay. Well, here you go. He's going to fix it right now. Laying, verse chapter 2, verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice. What's malice? You have bad feelings towards somebody else. That's malice. You got to put that away. All guile. Guile is saying one thing and, and meaning another. All right. Hypocrisies. Guile is not telling the truth. Hypocrisy is saying one thing, doing another. They go together. Envies. You're jealous of other people and all evil speaking. That's when you talk bad about somebody else. There's a list for you, huh? So you're going to, that is going to be laid aside. Your bad feeling towards others, your lack of truthfulness, your hypocrisy, envying other people and saying bad things about other people, lay it aside. How am I going to lay it aside? It's kind of a part of my nature. Yeah, your old one. Uh, what are you going to do? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. There it is. How do I get rid of the relationship problems that I have? Envy, malice, jealousy with the people around me. I thought we were all going to love each other. Well, if you're going to keep those things, it's not going to go as good. But he said, if you want it, get rid of it. As newborn babes desire sincere milk of the word. We long for this Bible to instruct us and to tell us what we need. And so it's like a baby in milk. Give me all I can. Let that baby drink. Let him grow and develop. Right? That's where we got to grow up. So laying aside the things is, he says, grow up now. Stop the bad relationships that you have and all the struggles you have. You have to lay that aside, he says. How are you going to get it done? You're going to drink the word of God in. Take it in like you're, you're dying of thirst. Take it in all you can and you will grow. You will grow. Verse 3. If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you've had a good taste, if you've got a hold of what God has to offer, and you've had a good taste of it, then you'll know how good God is. And I 
I'm still learning every day how good God is. Every day, it seems like I learn something else about how good God is. And I sit back and I look what he's done for me and I say, wow. And sometimes I almost say, stop. I can't take it all. He's so good to me. I don't know how to deal with it. I'm, I'm, I almost feel like a spoiled brat <laughs> sometimes. God's so good. He's so good, so gracious. He's thinking about me all the time, always doing something, that little special something for me. There are things that I absolutely love, all right? love to see. I go outside and look at the stars and oh, I always say, wow, I love it. I love to go out in the morning. Of course, these days you don't see any stars, right? You look up and where, where they go. I said, wherever they are, I still love them. Thank you. I thank God every day my truck starts. <laughs> every day. Every day. I thank God. I go out, make my fires, get in my truck and go to work. And I thank God he kept the house safe another day. And I asked him to do it another day. Because he's always taking care of me. Constant care. Constant watch. That's why he said, verse 5, you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. He's always taking care of me and blessing me and doing things for me that I ask, why, why, why? He just says, I want to, I want to. I'm gracious. It really is pleasant to be near. So if you're going to have this pleasant God in your life, do you think he wants to be where there's malice, envy, evil speaking, right? It just doesn't add up, does it? We've got a loving, generous, gracious God who comes into our lives. He don't want to live in, in your garbage heap. I don't blame it. I don't blame it. So we clean up our lives. And that's what he's saying here. You, you're getting a huge gift. You're getting the gift of salvation. You're getting it. A home in heaven and you're getting an inheritance in heaven and here's the central fact in all of history Jesus Christ came and died on a cross he did it for you that is blood for you so what why are you hesitating come on get on board and serve him and live for him do what he wants you to do Get going, and it'll be worth your while. Now he's going to go into another part, and I'm not going to, uh, I'm only going to bait a hook. We'll talk about it more next week. Verse 4, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also as lively stones are built up to a spiritual house. God, he said, is a stone. And the Bible tells us he's the chief cornerstone. And that when people looked at Jesus, they said, we don't like him. We don't want him part of our building. So 
So he's out. We definitely don't want his type in our building. And God said, you may not want him in your building. <laughs> but I want him in my building. Matter of fact, I'm going to lay him down as the chief cornerstone of the building. Now my old house is an old house. When I first got there, uh, there was a lot of holes in the walls. And the first fall I was there, they cut corn across the street and the rats moved in. They had lots of holes and they got in there. And we had war, man. We had war. <laughs> they won quite often, but I won in the end. Because I fixed that old stone wall. And I poured new cement and built forms and covered it all up. And as I was going through that old, old house, I came to one corner, and there's a beautifully cut stone. Nice, big, full foundation. The chief cornerstone of my house. That old house ain't got no chief corner. Yes, it does. Whoever laid that foundation said, we've got to have one good thing to start with, because we're going to use a lot of old round old rocks are going to dig out of the field. But they put that beautiful stone in there. And everything in that leans on that cornerstone. It rests on it. It's right in the front corner of my house, right where the tree fell. Couldn't, couldn't shake. Shake the windows, but the cornerstone stayed true. We have Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of the house his house here, and uh, our lives. He's a chief cornerstone. Everything will rest on him, and it'll be safe and secure when we rest on him. But more about that next week. I got to stop now. So we'll be at beginning now in Second Peter, verse four. Next week we'll go on. Behold, I lay in Zion, a cornerstone, elect and precious. Thank you.